Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, this is the first episode we are recording since returning from tour. For real this time. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel good. It was a really fun tour. You want to talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it. I'm about to crack into a John... A juicy ale with nugget <laughs> that uh, was given to us by our Nisha in uh, in Philly at the Philly show. Yeah. Um, the show I was afraid to use the word John at. <laughs> I think you're allowed to use the word John. I just wanted to know that I was using it right and to use a word for the first time on stage without knowing that yeah. was concerning to me. Mm. Well, we should have talked to somebody beforehand. Sure. Um, yeah, it was it was a great tour. It was so amazing. Like I feel like every show, I have really like individual and different memories of, but I also don't really feel like I remember much of any of them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I have like a- sp- specific things in mind from each one, but I don't remember like how any of them went particularly past that. Yeah, I have a lot of memories of before the show and after the show. Uh, (laughs) But during the show, it was almost an immediate blackout of what had happened on stage in a weird way. Like, my feelings are positive. It feels like, by and large, the live shows were good and fun and funny. But, like, I cannot remember any of our show titles, for instance. Yeah, somebody asked us which which ding took the... uh took the day and uh i laughed at that because i was like i can't even i can't even remember one yeah yeah weird sensation i mean Ooh, did this you... uh this john beer is quite tasty thank oh, you good we didn't really talk about a lot during the tour about how we were feeling about how it was going I think maybe in an intentional way, like we just sort of wanted to experience it day by day as its own individual process. But maybe now that we're on, now that we're, we're at the end of it, we are after the tour. How do you feel like uh, it went? I feel like it went great. I mean, I don't know what we did to deserve a viewership that is as bought into our bullshit (laughs) as we have but like it's it's so fun to go do the jokes that we do on this show in person and have them really like land for people yeah like we are recording this in between our tour and max funcon east where we will take the stage and do a version of the show we just toured and i have a good amount of apprehension of you know at least half the people in that room probably will never have heard our show. Right. Like, does this mean the same thing to them? <laughs> or, or no, not? clearly not. I mean, this is like, this is the stand-up comics version of the corporate show we're about to do, you know? Right. And yeah. uh, I'm I'm filled with the same amount of apprehension about, you know, whether 
Whether Kevin will be welcome at such an event, <laughs> for instance. Well, the, the good thing is we've gotten really good at, uh, you know, explaining jokes and making that be the joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, hopefully it will work and we'll have uh, we'll have our friend John Roderick there to sit in and be the proxy for the people watching and and uh, we can explain we can explain all our jokes to him. He'll love you that. Can, you can do no better for a proxy than John Roderick, I think. No. Top proxy. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel positive feelings about the tour also, Ben. I uh you know like halfway through it, I was like, "Good god, man, what have we done?" <laughs> In terms of like the so much so much travel and setup and show in two weeks like the pace of it was was a real thing and it had a real effect on me uh, in a number of ways but like after the halfway point once we were over the middle and then we were running downhill toward the end like that was euphoric and fun and i got used to the life in a way that like revealed itself when i got home like the tour is over so suddenly and then you're back to your old patterns again and uh that was an unexpected sort of whiplash to me i came home after we spent like the the morning and a bit of the afternoon in dc the morning Mm -hmm. after our our last show biking around and seeing the monuments and and stuff and uh (laughs) i came home and uh Basically, like, dropped my bags, changed my clothes, and my wife and I went to uh, a bar party with some friends, mm-hmm. which then quickly devolved to going back to one of their apartments and hanging out till like, 2 a.m. Oh, boy. <laughs> I basically, uh, you know the scene in Gattaca where you don't save anything <laughs> for the, the trip back? Sure. <laughs> like, the next two days, I was like... I mean, part of this was the party, part of this is the tour, but I am useless. Like, I, like, looked my wife in the eyes and I was like, the only thing I can do today is sit in my office and play computer games. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) It is a, it's a strange adjustment, that's for sure. I have most definitely been sleeping a lot since we've been back. Still very much on East Coast time and then getting ready to go back to the East Coast tomorrow. Yeah. Where we'll get to do it all over again. Yeah. Rinse, repeat. (laughs) How did your wife feel about seeing the show for the first time? Like her first experience, like having never listened to the show even, was seeing our show live at the Bell House. Yeah, there were a bunch of... I mean, there was a lot about that that was totally bonkers for her and also friends of mine that I, you know, invited out. Um, people who are, who've been aware that I'm doing this show, but like might not listen per se. And right, right. Um, like uh, Sean and Amita from uh, Maximum Fun's Inside Pop podcast came out. <laughs> and uh, I think Sean has probably listened to our show a couple of times, but like they were, they just, I just listened to their most recent episode and, they talked a little bit a bit about coming out, and they're not so much talking about <laughs> the jokes as like how into it people were. And I think that that was the thing that really made an impression on yeah. my wife yeah. is like she doesn't know 
like she knows like the origin of many of the jokes because many of the jokes she invented <laughs> right <laughs> but also like didn't know what any of a lot of it was so yeah uh so most of it most of the time it was just her being amazed at a like the community that has grown up around this and uh n- not really having any context for that having happened because she hasn't you know been participating in the in the facebook group or the or the reddit or whatever like she's not it's not her it's not her scene so she didn't even know that it was happening it's such a strange bit of nuance like depending on who it's coming from and what exactly how exactly it's being articulated but the whole idea of i can't believe that you do that (laughs) that feeling can can really cut both ways depending on who's saying it and how it's being said and like that is a piece of feedback that we received many times from many different people and it always (laughs) feels a little bit different depending on its source and uh yeah there's just (laughs) there's just a whole just a whole spectrum of emotions that can come from a I can't believe this is happening type feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's still like that first show in in Minneapolis when we walked in to do our sound check and set up and everything and I saw the size of the room and I was like conscious of the fact that this was one of the smaller rooms we were going to play. Yeah. I was like are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe that this is a sold out show. Like, who am I? Who, who are we? Yeah, there was that fun moment of like, we have enough chairs for every ticket holder. And then like, we had a, we had two people to add to the guest list or whatever. And they're like, oh, we got to go get more chairs. And that, <laughs> that moment was hilarious to me. Like, oh yeah, we've got to get more than 200 chairs. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> yeah oh man it was it was also just really cool to meet people like a lot of people would stay after the show and you know say hi to us and it was really cool to put faces to a lot of the names that we've seen on twitter and facebook and reddit and we got to meet people that have yeah some of the celebrities of our of our fandom i guess like people who people who are who are greatest gen famous yeah showed up we got to meet bill tilly we got to we meet Raz. We got to meet Plavim. Brittany Brown. All yeah. the greats. It was it was really cool. <laughs> I also just have like a huge pile of Star Trek memorabilia downstairs <laughs> that I need to go through. There's that thing where it's like a blind date, right? Like you've corresponded over Facebook and Twitter. You feel like you have some idea of what people are like and you hope before meeting them that they aren't like monsters, right? <laughs> like I know I had that in mind. Like before meeting Raz and Plavim, I, I was like, oh, well, this this has been a fun joke up until now, but this this could turn into not a fun joke in, in an hour. And I was yeah. like sort of bracing for the idea of these people that we've met online being like not as great as we hoped, but across the board, like yeah. everyone was amazing and sweet everyone and fully nice. Delivered. I, yeah, I came, yeah. I was like, 
I think running to the bathroom in between uh, walking off stage with you and going out to, you know, sign sign posters and and stuff in in our Cleveland show, and uh, I, I there's that that venue had like three different bars in it, and I was mm-hmm. walking past the back bar to get to the the restroom and. Bill Tilly was standing there, and we just locked eyes. And we were like, "Oh my god!" And uh, <laughs> Bill Tilly was the greatest. Bill Tilly was Bill every Tilly, bit as funny in person as he is online. I was just gonna say that. Like sometimes people are just funny online. Mm-hmm. Bill Tilly's funny in real life in a big time way. So yeah. great. Yeah, man. I wish we had had more time for hangs with Bill Tilly. With that all the peeps, may, that may be like if. If there are any regrets to be had about the tour, it's that there was so little time for yeah. anything besides travel or show. Yeah. How about yeah, those had... Cleveland chicken wings, though, brother? Oh, man. Still thinking about them. God. I, I'm telling everyone I know about those Cleveland chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great wing. I think we, we ate at a place, in, if you're in Cleveland, we ate at a place called the Greenhouse Tavern, I want to say. Yeah, and they have a uh, a confit chicken wing on the menu that is really next level. Oof! Oh man, <laughs> there is probably no limit to the amount of those wings that I could eat. Like, if there was a punch bowl of those wings, I, <laughs> like, I, like I would, I would need to sit down to them wearing a diaper, and I would just like go for hours. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would use like the those gluttony bones. scene in Seven. I, w- I would. I would use the bones of those chickens to make the world. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, Ben, we're going extremely long in our Marin Open because there's so yeah. Well, to that's talk why I gave you that episode, great, right? that great transition to yeah. a thing somebody says in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your partnership on our show is is a constant gift to me, Ben. <laughs> so what do you say we talk about uh one of the bad ones it's season seven episode 17 masks this episode starts with troy teaching a clay class or i guess she's not she's not teaching it but she's like hanging out and trying to get she's, the she's auditing a children's ceramics class. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is Data. Um yeah. which uh is is fun. Like she she has a little chat with like a a kid that's making a sculpture of a bird about, you know, the goal of of his art should be about connecting with the emotion of flying if uh if he's making a bird today. And then she goes and talks to Data, who has made like a, you know, a high tolerance replica of a data pad. <laughs> the dimensions are accurate to within 1.3%. And she's like, well, that's great, but that's not really, uh, that's not really what the, uh, what the assignment was, Data. And Does I that just count wanted... as modern art? <laughs> I just wanted Riker to lean his head through the door and go, amazing, a terracotta pot teaching an android to sculpt. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> what are they doing? What are they doing in this class? What is Eric trying to do with that stupid bird? <laughs> Eric should be discouraged from sculpting. That's what I think. I'm sure he's a great kid and he has he's a lot no... of interests. Mm-hmm. He's no Alexander, that's for sure. 
There's no dolphin polisher. <laughs> Where's that dolphin kid? He should be teaching that class. He's great yeah. at that. Yeah, he's probably like 10 or 11 at this point. He's got he's got a couple of years of, of sculpting under his belt. Should be able to teach the class. This, uh, the child actor who plays Eric, really trying hard, Ben. But Mrs. Nasus said we should try to make our sculptures as realistic as possible. Being given the direction to look quizzically at his teacher does the whole, like, touch your ear to your shoulder and raise an eyebrow type <laughs> acting, you know? Like, he is just, he is not equal to the task here in, yeah, in so an unfortunate way. Some people follow the Stanislavski school. <laughs> he follows the inquisitive pug school of acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it less is really more when you're a child actor, and so often more is more is the direction. Yeah, the discussion between Troy and Data is like if you're gonna if you're gonna sculpt something in this class today, like sculpt something that is emotional, sculpt something abstract, sculpt music, and Data is like, sculpt music? That doesn't make any sense. And uh, he uh, starts starts sculpting, pauses briefly on Vag <laughs> on his way to Treble Cliff. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, <laughs> that's a start. Anyways, and then the like, phone rings and they all have to run up to the bridge. There is no way that anyone could look at the the intermediate sculpture and not see labia, right? Like, like it's it emphatically is so- <laughs> vaginal. <laughs> they do that fun cut to Marina Sirtis as she like regards it, <laughs> which may be the, the greatest acting challenge she's ever faced is like regard this sculpture of female genitals and don't act like it's female genitals. You know when when they have somebody playing piano in a in a film or television show and then they cut two hands and it's clearly like <laughs> the hands of an expert pianist? Yeah. They do a lot of showing Data's sculpting hands in this yeah. episode and they're some different looking fingers. <laughs> yeah. He's got yeah. like he's got like truck stop beef jerky fingers and <laughs> It's really weird. It's like, I mean, like you can get a long way toward data hands by just putting the the makeup on them, but <laughs> they are weird looking. Yeah. Well, up on the bridge, they are chasing a comet that uh, has never been logged or charted. And um, they it start sure s- is a great effect, isn't it? Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Really amazing. I would kind of like to see what the uh, SD version of this looked like. I bet it doesn't look half as good. No, not at all. It's like a, it's like a dry ice sphere, I bet. This has got a lot of texture. <laughs> yeah. A lot of gas flying off of it. It looks great. And, uh, and they shoot it for scale in a fun way, too. They're scanning it, and as they scan it, all of the, uh, all of the lights on the bridge kind of flare. get a little overexposed for a moment. And they're like, well, that was weird. Seems like something is, like, feedbacking on the scanner. And Beverly and uh, and Troy are, like, getting ready for a hang of some kind. And um, they, like, stop in Troy's room. And uh, there's a mysterious sculpture that has appeared on, on her table. Kind of looks like a, like, 
you know, gray stone of three cubes with an apple set on top. And uh, I love how Beverly's like, like, maybe you've got a secret admirer giving you mini stone temples. And Troy's (laughs) like, yeah, that'd be nice. And then they go to class like her condo has not just been broken into. Like they give this so little thought. Yeah, I mean, I would like to, you know, I know that we're almost out of ep in terms of TNG, but I would have liked to have more exploration of what privacy standards are like in the 24th century. Because, like, I think that part of privacy is about, you know, modesty, and part of it is about protecting personal property and personal space. Like, when... Somebody breaks into your house, they're, you know, often looking to steal shit from you or whatever, and you don't really have any, like, there's no objects that are irreplaceable in this time period, you know? You just, oh, somebody uh, somebody broke in and took a dump on my bed, I'll just replicate a new bed. Yeah, there's the idea that uh, personal space is uncoupled from security, where I feel like... Like, everyone on the ship is safe from each other, it would seem. And so the idea of them living in a town where they don't have to lock their doors seems reasonable. But it also seems reasonable to expect that people wouldn't walk in and out of your room at any time they wanted to. So that seems weird. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) is the idea that, like, Worf came by and, and, like, rang the bell and she didn't answer and then did security override to leave this thing for her? I don't know. Anyways, that is the push to theme. And when we come back, we are back in sculpture class. Data has gone ahead and sculpted a pretty wild-looking mask. And uh, we we see those fake Data hands again, just (laughs) putting the finishing touches on it. I followed your advice, Counselor. I used my imagination. That's an understatement. Why don't you ever see, like, this is all stuff that's made out of clay, is this a clay that just dries hard, or are they ever going to finish it in, like, the kiln or whatever? <laughs> they take it down and leave it in the port nacelle for a few hours. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I want to see the last part of the process. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> They're hanging out, and um, the little kid from before is like, hey, guys, uh... Not for nothing, but my uh, my school terminal, my uh, my little computer here, has a bunch of weird shapes and images floating around on it. Uh, could you take a look? And they take a look at it, and uh, sure enough, it has these weird glyphs. And um, they start to investigate. So they're like down in engineering. They're there are glyphs in the engineering computer, they're all over, and LaForge is like, yeah, this is shit that is coming out of that comet we were scanning. It's like climbing up the scanner beam and getting into our computer and rewriting code, and I don't really understand how or why or what's going on, and, uh, and Data's like, well, I, th- I seem to know what all of these symbols mean. And they're like, do you think it could have gotten into your computer system to data do you think you could be dangerous data (laughs) do we need to lock you up immediately data (laughs) 
Jordy like wheels around with whatever tool is used to remove limbs and is like <laughs> we could do that thing we talked about data where we put each individual limb in separate parts of the ship yeah <laughs> they just cut to a, a jeering crowd full of people going lock him up lock him up lock him up the alien screensaver effect does not look great <laughs> I would argue like it's very clearly like floating you know like it's not it does not look like it's in the graphic but instead floating over the top yeah there are just these glyphs buzzing around but eventually they make like a plus symbol on the screen and uh, they're all kind of lined up with each other and like well maybe we need to melt all the ice on this comet see what's going on under the surface so they take a phaser to it, and as the surface of the comet melts, sure enough, it is revealed that there is a designed structure within it. And they begin Were you to as shocked this... as I was that they melted the whole thing? You have to be very vigilant when you're eating ice cream cones. Look, there's a little drip. Get it. I thought they were just going to, like... Oh, another drip. Got it. ...shoot a hole into the core. I didn't know that the plan was, like, melt it completely. It's weird, because it seems like... Seems like that phaser just like starts kind of a cascade effect on all of the all of the ice. Like they shoot it for a bit, and the ice just all kind of goes away. Like we know that life lives in water and frozen water. Like I I can't imagine that they didn't just genocide sixty million <laughs> years of of like ice life that this comet has flown through. Like mm, <laughs> what a RSVP terrible thing to have life. done. Yeah. <laughs> they uh yeah, but there's this there's this thing in there and data's like this is an information archive. It is the records of a of a civilization. They're like, "How do you know that data?" And he's like, "Well, call it a hunch." <laughs> also, the musical score contains pan flute, so uh I can I can infer that this is an intelligent, aged form of life with with some <laughs> some semblance of wisdom here. Wisdom, mysticism, you name it, <laughs> they've got it. <laughs> what, you don't hear the pan flute? <laughs> Riker comes into Picard's uh, ready room, and Picard has, like, he has assembled all of the weird objects that have apparently been just showing up in people's quarters all over the ship. And there's the sculpture from Troy's room and, like, some some pots and some some little figurines... Did he just go around room to room being like, hey, are you going to eat that? Like, <laughs> like, did he go and gather that stuff or was it given to him? He did that. <laughs> yeah. the captain. If anybody has any weird pottery in their room that they can't explain, uh, you can just bring that up to the ready room. Thanks very much. <laughs> Captain's orders. And he's like, he's... He is like a kid in a candy shop here. He is totally geeking out. He's like looking at the symbolism. He's talking about, you know, oh, like this this symbol is really cool, but it only shows up in a couple of places. And this symbol you see everywhere, you know. The styrofoamness of the samples, though, is super apparent. I don't know. It's so hard to like make something realistic looking out of styrofoam and yet make the handling of that thing look weighty. That yeah, seems like a really great challenge for an actor. What you got to do if you're the prop department and you're making something out of styrofoam is like hollow out the base and put something really heavy in there. Yeah. So that it 
has some heft to it because yeah the uh like the the totem that was in troy's room looks ridiculous when anybody picks it up (laughs) yeah like he almost throws it across the room (laughs) yeah it's like it's like picking up a carton of milk that you're expecting to be full and it turns out it's empty or you remember that one beer we got at the bell house we got a six pack can six pack of cans of beer of this great beer i think it was called happy hour that was like a that was the crushable beer, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the crushable pilsner that one <laughs> of the one of the reasons it's so crushable is because one of the cans in the six pack was half filled. <laughs> which was super weird to pick it up and it was all squishy. The uh, yeah. the aluminum was squishy. Neither of us wanted to try any of it. The, of that can house, anyway. The house manager picked it up and she's like, Something is really weird about this can. <laughs> I think it was happy hour the day that they filled those cans. <laughs> Damnedest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but uh, free plug for happy hour beer, a delicious crushable beer for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing about going on tour is that you definitely make really different food decisions. You're like yeah. taking a lot less risk with what you eat because, <laughs> you know. Like, because oh, of reasons. Yeah, yeah like if I... If I get down on some oysters here on the second day of the tour, I am really putting the entire affair at risk, you know? Man, I was so stupid with that. I had a bad oyster in Europe that basically ruined half of a vacation I took with my wife. And here I was, like, halfway through the most important thing that we have done for our podcast. And I'm like, yeah, let's let's crush a dozen oysters in a place <laughs> we've never been before. Sounds great. Oh. Those were great oysters, though. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, that was the, you know, that was like the penultimate show, so yeah. I feel like we could have powered through at that point. I could have done that show over a bucket and, and been <laughs> fine. Yeah. We would have gotten um, through it. Down in engineering, Jordy and Data have have uh, plugged Jordy into the computer, and they're like, they're doing some diagnostics, and they're trying to figure out what's going on with him because uh, he's he's been you know knowing things he shouldn't know about this alien archive and uh feeling weird and like while he's plugged in he's like hey jordy um have you ever lost your mind can you like explain to me what that feels like and Jordy's like uh duh fuck <laughs> it's such a dark question it's a very dark question, and it is, and like it really like highlights how far past the point of get data like isolated from the rest of the ship they really are. Like that is not the question you want to be hearing from guy who could rip anybody's arms out of their socket. Like immediately, Jordy should have initiated limb separation on data. Like that should be the protocol. They should at least, like, lock out his command codes, right? Yeah. I agree. It is insane. <laughs> he basically tells Jordy that he is dangerous. Like, because when the strongest, smartest person on your ship says he's losing his mind, you are in mortal danger. Right, and Data has taken himself out of the chain of command a couple of times because he was worried about the situation. Yeah. But, uh... I, maybe he maybe he would have, but before he gets to it, like his the inside of his head turns into into an artifact, and he like turns to camera, and suddenly he's got one of the symbols from the 
objects are finding all over, like like scarification on his forehead. Thus begins the one-man show by Brent Spiner portion of the episode. Picard comes down to engineering and he's like, cop the seat on the warp core. I've been waiting for you. You should feel honored. Didn't they refit the warp core recently and it looked really different? Yeah, they did. When I saw him do that, it also made me think if if you are an enemy to the ship, sitting on the warp core is a great place to be because you wouldn't want to fire your weapons at the warp core, right? Resistance is futile. It's yeah. filled with steam. <laughs> but you could also just like eject it and be like, all right, later, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is a great point because... What begins here is a sort of Borg-style assimilation of the ship, right? That no one treats as an, as an existential threat until just about the end. It like, has really run away from them by the time they are treating it as, as dangerous as it is. Slowly but surely, the ship has turned into a rainforest cafe. <laughs> and uh, it's that's, not... That's a, a wild place to shop and eat, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, it's so overpriced, though. Never been. I haven't either, so I'm just talking out of my ass. <laughs> I, I gotta believe that Rainforest Cafe has just got the mister on, right? It's, it's a very humid place to shop and eat, probably. You mean they're very formal when they address you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, yes, that too. The character that has inhabited Data in this first scene is named Ihat, and he's like, he's kind of a, kind of a trickster character, got kind of a high voice, and he's warning them that a masaka, which is a delicious Mediterranean dish, <laughs> is, is, uh, is coming to kill everyone. Picard rubs his belly, he's like, uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> Will this be the Greek kind or more of the Turkish kind? <laughs> it just becomes an eating feats of strength from here on out. <laughs> what is it you want? Masaka is waking. Masaka is like a kind of female god of death character, as uh, we gather. and uh, A real Zul type. Yeah, a real Zul type. And we gather this especially because... Troy walks into engineering and Data like drops to his knees and like kind of like begs her not to kill him because he has mistaken her for Masaka. Brent Spiner is playing this as an existential threat. Like the fear he emotes here is real. And yet like the thing that he is afraid of, no one else is afraid of. Like I, it's hard to articulate how uncoupled Data's portrayal is from everyone else's, and it's not just that he is, like, full Brent Spiner here, like, like totally powerfully playing all these characters. Everyone else is just sort of standing around observing. They're not really feeling anything, and that was what I felt watching this episode, like, just sort of furrowing my brow, like, what is this? 
when what it is is really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, we read the show Bible uh, about things that don't work recently, and they kind of uh, make a point of prohibiting any, like, magical explanation for things. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of those, this is a technology sufficiently advanced to be indistinguishable from magic. Right. And, And so, like... I don't feel like the writers felt the need to flesh out the logic of it that much. <laughs> and because of that, like the rules of it are a little unclear and the uh the threat that it poses, the stakes that it's uh that it poses are kind of not evident to most of the characters. Right. But it seems like there should be a process, much like a first contact process, in place here. And they just play it super loose. Yeah, like at one point they're like, "All right, well, this is like this has gone on long enough. Like, data is ten characters. Uh, the, you know, the archive has got us in some kind of tractor beam. Let's go ahead and take it out." And Worf is like, "Uh, too late for that. We don't have any access to the weapons." And they're like, "Fuck. Well, okay, let's shoot a torpedo at it manually." And there's a scene where Jordy and Worf have a torpedo on the floor of main engineering. <laughs> Which seems like the dumbest possible place to take a torpedo under any circumstances. <laughs> this is such a bad idea. Like, do and they not have a torpedo bay that they can do this in? I don't know why they need to use a torpedo casing as a vessel for snakes. Like, the why inter- don't they just beam a bunch of snakes over? The Enterprise B had a torpedo bay where they could do surgery on a torpedo. Yeah, I remember. That's where a great Kirk scene. bought the farm. <laughs> Yeah. So so did they write that out of the design spec for the D? This scene is one of the stupidest scenes in the entire series because <laughs> Torpedo is filled with snakes and it's in engineering. <laughs> and then they're like, well, let's get the fuck out of here. Something tells me we'd better get out of here. And they t- go around a corner and see that it is on fire. And instead of putting out the fire... The emergency beam away. Engineering to bridge. Emergency transport. Two to beam out. And don't tell anyone about the fire later. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> is like, there, there is, is a there fire. Not a fire extinguisher nearby. Should there you is not a bring? fire next to a torpedo in engineering. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like the the magicness of everything has kind of has kind of taken over the logic of the episode. Could they distinguish the difference between magic fire and real fire? Is that why they didn't treat it as the emergency it was? I don't know. I mean, it's like it's a very season one set of decisions that get made there, and yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it's never it's never given any kind of like underpinning that we can yeah. wrap our heads around. No, no. You just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic. Ehat, the, the trickster character, is uh, one among many. There's also an old man character. Difficult to stay warm. Who is also pretty pretty freaked out about this whole Masaka is waking scenario. There's also a small child character. Alone. 
no one left to help me. And uh, you can kind of, the characters are distinguished not just by the performance, but also by a different brooch that shows up on uh, Data's chest. And Picard gets the gang together in on the bridge. They're like, they can't have a normal McLaughlin group. Issue one! Because the observation lounge has turned into a swamp. Mm. But they discuss the scenario on the bridge, and um, it's decided that uh, that what they need to do is get into the programming of the archive. And Picard is like, yeah, that's cool, but I think we also need to be like, actually playing through the scenario that is being discussed by data and everybody's like yeah that makes sense everyone does that thing when a when a leader makes a a decision that doesn't make a ton of sense where they're like are you sure and the captain's <laughs> like oh yeah i'm sure and then they're like okay i feel better <laughs> what in the fuck blow yeah. up the damn ship picard <laughs> No! <laughs> yeah, I mean, the seeds for that moment are probably planted in masks, right? He does not want to blow up the ship under no. most circumstances. Well, they get Any the... circumstances after season three, I guess. Yeah. They get the symbol for Masaka's temple from... Uh, partly from Ihat and partly from the old man character. And... Um, they put it into the computer and like a hallway that they're standing in like kind of magically turns into a like a ancient looking temple set up with a with like a high altar with a with a throne on it for Masaka and um they are they're like looking around looking at all the symbols and uh one thing that they keep getting from from everybody is that uh, the only person that can talk any sense into Masaka is Corgano, and uh, Corgano has not has not uh, revealed him or herself at all. But there are symbols that they in in here that they think may be Corgano related. <laughs> they transform this hallway into. What, a room with a 40-foot-high ceiling? Like, what happens to the people living on the deck above? Or the deck, or, like, on the other side of the wall they were just in? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there there's also just, like, a very noticeable lack of anybody else from the crew in this episode. Like, there's never yeah. anybody else in engineering. There's never anybody else on the bridge. You, you don't really... You don't really get any story revelation about what's happening to them uh, and nobody ever talks about them and you never see them what happened to poor Eric Eric and his stupid bird <laughs> where's that B story <laughs> <laughs> like did they ever think about turning his bird into something terrifying <laughs> Give me the Eric B story. This is a journey into sound. Would be nice. They come up with the idea that uh, if Masaka is the is the problem and Corgano is the only person that can talk to her, maybe they need to put the Corgano symbol into the computer. And so they've they've got the symbol, so they put it in, and onto the science console appears a different mask. And so now data in the 
guise of Masaka in his clay mask that he made in in a sculpting class is sitting on the throne and Picard comes in in this like chromed out Corgano mask and uh like they have a little like like right before Picard goes and does this he and he and Troy have like a little a little like last minute conversation she's like uh like we don't know anything about these people and he's like yeah but I've studied a lot of similar civilizations so I'm just gonna wing it hold my beer we'll do it live fuck it this is so insane (laughs) Ben I want to talk to you about masks a little bit like Masks up until now are like, are the things for children or sex parties. (laughs) It is so hard to make great actor Sir Patrick Stewart look not funny in a mask. He looks fucking laughable in this thing. And so does Brent Spiner. Like, he looks like the the mask as a thing is a terrible idea. He looks like the kind of superhero you would have referenced in a television show that can't license a real superhero to uh, <laughs> he, to reference, you know? He looks like a guy who couldn't get into the Eyes Wide Shut party. <laughs> <laughs> this mask also doesn't fit him super well. Like, there's shots where it's on him good, but there's also other shots where it's slipped down his nose and is <laughs> very clearly covering his eyes and he can't see that well. They really gave him a ton of ribbon for the for the back tie because when they cut to him from the back, like the ribbon is basically halfway down his back. Yeah. Well, like, he debates... was he supposed to go around his head a couple times with that before tying it? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they uh, they had to like have it loose enough on him for that one shot so that they could get it off him yeah. and have him stand like perfectly still in the same place so that the effect would work. And that's the scene where it's really, like, really covering his eyes. Because <laughs> it just slipped down his face. Captain McCart, <laughs> one of the things that I like to do when I'm wearing a mask is use blackout cream around my eyes. <laughs> it gives me a fearsome look. It helps me blend into the night even better than before. <laughs> You merely adopted the mask, Captain Picard. I can never take mine off. <laughs> uh, he looks he looks so dumb. I, f- I feel bad for everyone involved. Especially because Brent Spiner is acting the shit out of this. Yeah, his he mask is, is pretty cool. Look, he is, he's got the better of the two masks, but neither of the masks look cool. TBH. I wish I could make a mask that looked that cool, Adam. I don't. I have no need for that. <laughs> well, they, uh... Like I say they as their... I regard my box of toys that people have sent me. <laughs> 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 Who would want to look that stupid? I say, <laughs> gesturing towards a, a prized, customized shuttlecraft. <laughs> I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. Picard as Corgano debates Data as Masaka. And it kind of comes out through this conversation that Corgano is the is the moon god and is represented in this culture as a hunter who pursues Masaka, the sun god, 
and that uh, you know their culture is all about balance and having Corgano and Masaka uh, continue their hunt, and uh, and so Masaka is like, in the end, persuaded that uh, she should um, she should knock it off with all the taking the ship and turning it into a city because Corgano is going to get back to hunting her. Yeah, and that uh, somehow kind of like undoes the whole simulation like the matter of the ship has been like bit by bit put back together in the shape of this ancient city and suddenly it's just all back to normal this thing is incredibly powerful yet no one regards it for that you know like it does a super complex technological feat of like transforming the ship into its image yeah and using only the ship to do it like it it's just a program that got into their computer and somehow it's able to reassemble the matter all over the ship (laughs) it seems exceedingly difficult and yet when it's all over they're like someone dispatch a scout ship to study the archives for its information but there is like there's there's sort of like a weaponized potential for this that I think they should treat carefully. Yeah, definitely don't let the Romulans get their hands on the archive. No, not at all. Like, are they just going to tow that thing to a starbase? What, what do you even Borgs do with an archive that big? Thing? Yeah. What, what do you think would happen? Would the Borgs get assimilated first, or, or would they assimilate? That's a great question. I mean... This is a this is certainly a technologically distinct form of life, I guess. Yeah, but they definitely are not coming up with the like put on our our own mask and go down there and talk to Borg's Masaka. Like I think as soon as you inject your your weird ancient screensaver into Borg technology, they, pro- they probably start plugging the toilets almost immediately, right? <laughs> like it's it's probably the the hue effect all over again. Yeah. This could be the greatest thing ever. Just just shoot that thing toward the uh, Delta Quadrant and uh, hope the Borgs run into it sooner or later. That's a great idea. Repurpose it as the weapon it was designed to be. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? The thing I liked most about the episode was the lighting. They got really weird lighting the ship. And by that, I mean the bridge especially. Like, they used mm-hmm. a lot of up-shooting lights in ways that made locations that we've seen for seven seasons look fresh and new there was a camera shot in the in that scene where they transform the hallway into the temple that does that starts overhead looking down and then picard walks up the stairs and the camera rotates like rotates and tilts back up into a profile three shot that was like that actually made me say whoa in the room because like that was a that was a shot that you don't get on the show very often if ever so there was like there was stuff for me to enjoy from a production standpoint but there was next to nothing for me to enjoy from a story standpoint like it was as bad as i had heard this episode was to see it all over again uh was confirmation of that what about uh, you ben i um I agree that the there are some real logical shortcomings to the story in this episode. But that being said, I find it a fun story mm-hmm. just from a 
like it moves and it like it's it's it does an interesting high wire act of having this be like a very ancient civilization and also a civilization far more advanced than their own right at the same time and having that never feel like it's in conflict and uh yeah i agree like the the directing and the lighting and the camera work in this episode are all like totally top notch like one of my favorite shots is there's like a a scene when data's eyes pop open and he doesn't have the scarification on his forehead anymore and he like gets up in his quarters and uh, picks up his his mask and then like smash cut to him like coming out of the door of his of his unit <laughs> and just like beating the shit out of two security guards that are there. He gets <laughs> in a fun Star Trek fight. Yeah, and it's that just, open like, palm punch is pure Star Trek. Like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff in this episode. And that uh, shot that you're talking about where he rises is so great because it's framed so tightly that you can barely tell that he's standing if not for the changing shadow position behind him in relation right. to the fire. Like, I thought that was super fun. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I like how fucking weird they got. Like, they really doubled down on weird this episode. Yeah, and they're just like, let's swing for the weird fences. It's hard for me to hate an episode that tries that hard to do that. Yeah, like, I think that, like, the script could have used another pass, but, like, given the script, I think it's pretty great for uh, for all of the, like, you know, like, the script is the foundation of, of an episode, and uh, it's pretty hard to save an episode from a bad script, and yeah. I don't know that they necessarily did, but I love, I love how great it is in spite of its script. <laughs> Speaking of that script, Ben, uh, I read that Brent Spiner received it the night before day one of the shoot. No shit. Which is something he pushed back on pretty hard. He's like, look, guys, like character development actually takes an actor some time. And you're asking me to prepare for disparate character performances in like a day. Yeah. And so I think all that does is show what a titanic effort it was for him as an actor. And like cartoonish or not like he pulled it off these are four separate characters that he plays very differently and very complexly like i i really admire his work here especially given the circumstance like this was a super huge challenge that he rose to i heard that the entire rest of the cast never even got a copy of the script which is why they do no character work <laughs> i'd believe that <laughs> Hey, Ben, did we get any Priority One messages? I believe we did, Adam. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is for Ben. It is from your loving husbands, Zach with an H and Justin. Not with an H. Message goes like this, Ben, 10 years ago, we three became common law husbands. Since then, <laughs> you fritzed every cigar, shaved your head for JLP versus Q versus Quark erotic cosplay, <laughs> and always accepted Zach's wrongness and Justin's IBS. Whoa. We, lo we love that. <laughs> so if this P1 isn't on time, please violate our 
Clavim holes. <laughs> Happy 40th from your lovers, Zach and Justin, and our sexy friend, Warren. Whoa. Is this our first thruple doing a P1? Sounds like it. I, uh, I, st- I stand in solidarity with Justin's IBS. We are, uh, we're IBS brothers, my friend. <laughs> cool times. Man, that's, uh, that sounds like a fun gang. Happy, yeah. happy 40th, Ben. Every group needs a cigar fritzer. I don't even know what fritzing is. Is that, isn't that the thing where you like, uh, you like, you make the hole in the cigar? For, uh, oh, you, you clip the, the little end part off? I'm just inferring that's what fritzing is. I don't know, man. I don't know either. I'm not a cigar person. I like a cigar from time to time. I was walking downtown yesterday, past a guy, like just a businessman, smoking mm-hmm. a cigar. Like, oh yeah, he just closed the, the uh, DuPont deal. <laughs> Like a like a guy on the street smoking a cigar in the daytime. That w- it, I I totally like stopped and regarded him. Like, yeah. good job, Titan of Industry. <laughs> I walked by two guys in flight suits smoking cigars, so I assumed that they'd taken out a bogey. Wow, that's that's how you want to do it. That's the whole picture: flight suit and cigar. Yeah, <laughs> it's good times. Uh, also, Bunk Moreland smoking a cigar, so I assumed he had just found a dead body. <laughs> I love Bunk. <laughs> Gotta love the Bunk. Adam, our next P1 is from Steve at Rockingham Park, and it's for Barry at South Point. It goes like this. Thank you for everything. You put me up when my Loxana went nuts and I had nowhere <laughs> to go. <laughs> You introduced me to this pod, which helped keep me going during a tough time. You helped me deal with the Ferengi that run Crabtree. You and Heidi are incredible people. See you in September. I, uh, boy, that's a that's a tough time when your Luaxana is on the loose. Yeah, when Luaxana goes nuts, that's just. <laughs> Man, like, <laughs> that's really doubling down, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's, it's Luxana to the Luxana power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, Adam. <laughs> well, uh, if you have a message of support for a friend who's going through a time or merely wish to celebrate your thruple, or whatever that's called. (laughs) (laughs) Wander on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and type out a message that we will then read on our fair show. Uh, Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200, and they are a great and powerful way to support the ongoing production of our show. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Darmok Angelad. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. Um, I'm going to give mine to Picard for his... Uh, kid in a candy shop like performance when he gets all his artifacts in his office. Um, I just uh, I felt like the like he really takes his eye off the ball in that scene where their ship has like a totally unknowable mysterious process that is converting its matter into something else, and he's like, "Look at these symbols! This is great!" 
where is Worf in all this? Like the security <laughs> of the ship is at stake. He has he has either wanted to or actually destroyed things for doing less in the past. And he just sort of like coasts as a character through this episode. He's saving himself up for the next episode. Yeah, I guess so. Ben, my Shimoda goes to both Jordy and Worf for leaving the scene of a fire. <laughs> like, I think the the most fun Shimodas occur in engineering most of the time. Yeah. Uh, the spiritual home of the drunk Shimoda. And just sort of backing away and beaming off. Uh, not great. Not a good look. Yeah. You got to at least pull the alarm, right? It's it's a very alien thing to me to just like what like one of one of the most keen memories of shame from my adult life uh, is a time I got like my face laughed in. I was in Kenya shooting some uh, some video and we were driving from one location to another through a fairly rural uh, part of Kenya and. Uh, we were, we were just driving along a hillside and there was just a grass fire going. And I said, oh, my God, there's a grass fire. We should call the fire department. And, like, everybody <laughs> in the truck just turned to me and laughed in my face. <laughs> like, what an idiot to think that that is a thing that happens here. And, <laughs> like, I'm, I still think about, like, what happened with that fire. Like, did, did that do damage? Did, like, did, did it, like, burn people's houses down? Uh, but I'm also like totally ashamed that I thought to voice my opinion that we should perhaps alert the authorities. How how dare you try to help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'm sorry you were fire shamed like that, Ben. Thank you, Adam. That feels <laughs> that feels good to hear. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season seven, episode eighteen. Eye of the Beholder, while experiencing empathic visions after an officer's mysterious suicide, Troy becomes romantically involved with Worf. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I remember this episode as a very special episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is a type of TNG episode that they stopped doing after the Drugs Are Bad episode. (laughs) So this is... This is like a deep callback to to yeah. some themes, right? Well, I heard what happened was they uh, they had some uh, some painters come in and refresh the paint job in the writers' room, and they took down the sign that said "No very special episodes," mm-hmm. and then they forgot to put it back up. Can't do that. They uh, they left the blindfolded Roddenberry, but uh, <laughs> they removed the sign. Yeah, it's never quite the same. Um, <laughs> Well, that will be the next episode of the program, Adam. In the meantime, if you would uh, like to get at us online, you can go on Twitter and use the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam is on there as at CutForTime. I'm as at BenjaminR, A-H-R. There's also great and lively Facebook and Reddit groups for you to join and a Wikia for GreatestGen that goes into excruciating detail as to what all the jokes are and... uh, one of my favorite things that's uh, ever been uh, made, W slash R slash T, the show. We had the pleasure of meeting the uh, the person who made the Wikia. We met 
so many people from our online communities who、yeah. are who are great and fun and funny. So like, there is a whole community waiting for you.、Uh, That that has set up shop around this show. So, if you're looking for a laugh or a, or an online pal, like, and you haven't been there before, I would I would strongly recommend checking it out. It's great. You,、uh, if you like the show and you want to help us spread the word, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review.、Uh, if you don't like the show, don't go to Apple Podcasts. Yeah, just forget we ever said it. Yeah, we're not there. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, <laughs> With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, an episode of the Greatest Generation that、uh, is hanging out in the nacelles the entire time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.